thank you, Amy, for your ministry and music. And uh, This morning we are going to have the children remain in the service, so no children's church today, but if you'll grab your Bibles and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I know you're fed up. I know if you went to breakfast you got well fed and you're probably starting to get a little tired, so I will cut my message a little bit. I got, a, got an email this week about the order of service, and, oh, this is going to be a beautiful service, Pastor. You just need to keep the sermon short and to the point. So <laughs> we'll see if I can try to do that this morning, because I do want you to benefit from this message, and I don't want to see how loud you snore, okay? First uh, Corinthians chapter 15. Uh, we are, it's only been a year that we've been here, and we are getting to meet new people in Akron and uh, surrounding communities, and get involved in the community, and yesterday we got to go to the first Easter egg hunt uh, here in Akron that we've been able to go to. Uh, it ended up being over at the field house, and it was really fun, and uh, Crystal and Elise couldn't come because Elise was sleeping, but the boys and I went over to uh, participate. I didn't participate in the egg hunt, just so you know, but I went and took the boys over there, and we had a really good time, and they enjoyed going around and racing, competing with the other kids, trying to get this magic, you know, the super prize and the egg or whatever they were looking for. So we didn't get any of that, but it still was a fun time. And uh, it was really a joy to see Titus out there. Uh, he he, uh, he harvests candy a little differently than the other kids. Uh, uh, this year he pretty much kind of stayed in one area and he just grabbed all the candy he could. And then I caught him this morning eating it uh, before church and he's been a little strung out today because of that, but uh, about two years ago when he was involved in the Easter egg hunt, he acted totally different. Uh, this year, he had actually a basket full, but two years ago, uh, Krista went out with him when, when they were doing the Easter egg hunt, and he grabbed one egg, and he grabbed another one in the other hand, and he sat down, and he started opening them up, and, and started eating the candy, and all these kids, and he's like surrounded by these eggs, and all these kids are getting all these eggs that he could be getting for himself, and he was totally clueless. He was totally zoned in on what uh, what those eggs had in that candy, and he had no touch with reality around him that he really lost out. And then at the end of that hunt that day, he was so sad because he didn't have hardly anything. And all his brothers did. And he cried. And it was a really sad thing, and we had to steal some from the other boys. But uh, anyway, confession time. But uh, we had a real, you know, we had a really good time yesterday. But you know, sometimes, uh, like Titus did two years ago, we can. Um, it's not that we're distracted by Easter eggs, but we're distracted by other things in life. Uh, we're distracted and we're kind of clueless about the reality of what life is all about. And uh, here in this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the church of Corinth is clueless about a biblical doctrine that's so important: the resurrection of the dead. And you know what? You may say to yourself, Pastor, I, I'm not ignorant of the resurrection of the dead. I know that I'm going to be, uh, I know that the Bible talks about the resurrection of the dead, but do we live like it? Do we live like it? Uh, a lot of times we live like this world is all there is. And, that, you know, we need to get as much as we can. We need to enjoy as much as we can. Uh, that's really the mentality of the world, of the unsaved world. They think that this is the best there is. And so they give their lives completely to it. And their, their hope is all gone when it fails them. And even 
for Christians, we can get into this mentality as well, where we don't really think about the resurrection that much except on on, uh, Sunday in April or March, or maybe at a funeral sometime. We don't, besides that, most Christians don't think about the resurrection. We live life like Jesus is still dead. And this passage here in 1 Corinthians 15 really emphasizes the importance of the resurrection of Christ. See, we serve a risen Savior. The Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. Okay, you guys are going to get it eventually. Okay, wake up. Uh, but here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, we look at the, uh, the church of Corinth and they are so focused on themselves. Their egos, they're focused on their, their preacher. If it was, if it was, uh, Peter or Paul or Apollos, they, that was their special focus. They were focused on their spiritual gifts and which ones they had. And, that, and that's really what they are focusing on as we, go to, as we come out of chapters 12 through 14 about the spiritual gifts as well. And he hits them right square in the face because they have allowed that focus and that distraction to lead to um, unbelief or biblical unbelief. They, if you look at verse 12, it says, Now if Christ be preached that He rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? They were so preoccupied with their ego and who was the best and the best Christian preacher and who had the best spiritual gift that they, they totally neglected sound doctrine. They neglected what the Bible taught about Christ. And Paul brings this up in verse 12. Some of you say that there's no resurrection of the dead, but we preach that Christ rose from the dead. You're actually implying that Jesus didn't write, uh, was not resurrected from the dead, and this is a huge problem. And a lot of times, we as Christians, we may not doubt whether the resurrection of Christ occurred. We may not doubt whether we're going to be raised from the dead sometime, but we live like Christ is dead. Like He's not alive. Like He's not on the throne, and that He's still not saving people. And we need to live in the reality of the resurrection of Christ because the resurrection is significant to how you live. And this, this uh, portion, uh, verses 12-34, through 34, shows the importance and how the resurrection of, of Christ motivates how you live. If you are living for the resurrection of Christ, if you are living focused on, on the resurrection of Christ, it's going to motivate your hope in Him. Verses 12 through um, through 15 read here, Now if Christ be preached that He rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God, that He raised up Christ, whom He raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. The Christ's crucifixion is crucial. And if we stray from that, and we stray from the reality of that, and if that was not true, we have a lot of problems. I mean, what really does make Resurrection Sunday important? Why do we meet every Sunday and focus on our resurrected Lord and how to live for Him. Why is it important? What would life be like if Christ wasn't alive? If He was still dead in the ground? These verses give you a scenario 
without the resurrection of Christ, our witness would be misleading. We see here that the Gospel in verse 12 is centered on the resurrection of Christ. He says it there in verse 12. If Christ be preached that He rose from the dead. That's what they preached. Look at uh, the first couple of verses. Look at verse 3. Um, Actually, let's look at verse 1 of this chapter. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. And this is the gospel right here, verse 3. You ever want to share the gospel with somebody in two or three verses? Here it is. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins. And what does it say after that? According to the Scriptures. Okay. Then verse 4. And that He was buried and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. What is the Gospel of Jesus Christ based on? The Word of God, isn't it? There's a lot of Gospels out there today. You know, this person says this thing. This person says that thing. This book says this thing. But you know what this book says? It says that salvation is only through Jesus Christ and Him alone. That when we look to the Christ, we cross we see grace we see forgiveness we see love we see only the son of god and the only person that can save us from our sins and so paul says hey if the resurrection's not true then the gospel cannot be true because that's what it's centered on second of all he says the apostles um the apostles misled us or they witnessed of the resurrection so they lied look at uh verse four it uh, verse five says in that Jesus was seen after he was raised from the dead of Cephas or Peter, then of the twelve. And after that, he was seen above 500 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep or have died. After that, he was seen of James, his brother, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me, Paul writes, as one born out of due time. So, if the resurrection of Christ is not true, then the apostles lied because the reason why they were apostles because they were sent ones from Jesus because they were eyewitnesses of Him. They had seen Jesus. There are no apostles today. People who claim to be, to be apostles today are not biblical apostles because they haven't seen Jesus Christ face to face. They haven't been sent by Him personally. Okay, And so here we have the apostles that they were eyewitnesses of the resurrection. And if the resurrection of the dead or the resurrection of Christ is not true, then they lied. And our faith has no foundation. And our faith is also miserable. Look at uh, verses 16 through 19. Our faith would be miserable without the resurrection of Christ. It says, For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. Ye are yet in your sins." Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. If Jesus did not, if Jesus was not resurrected from the dead, we wouldn't have forgiveness of sins. A lot of times when we talk about the cross and we say, why did Jesus die on the cross? It was to pay the penalty for our sins. But why did He live? To prove that He did it. Amen? Yeah, that's exactly why He lives, is to prove His claims. We preached from Luke chapter 19 last week. In Luke 18, Jesus prophesied that He would go to Jerusalem, that He would um, be arrested by the religious leaders there, that He would 
suffer, that he would be crucified, he would be buried, and he would be resurrected on the third day. Jesus prophesied it before it actually happened. If he, if the resurrection didn't happen, he wasn't who he claimed to be. He wasn't the Son of God. He wasn't. Uh, his sacrifice didn't take effect. And it's so important, people, that we realize that Jesus is not in the ground still suffering for our sins. When He died on the cross, he, the work was finished. He actually said that on the cross. It is finished. And then He gave up the ghost. He didn't die. He actually gave up His life for you and for me. And so He gave up. Uh, he took the penalty for our sins. And then when He was raised from the dead, it proved that very claim that that work is finished. Amen. Why was he why did Jesus why is Jesus alive to give us hope in him that we have forgiveness of sin and also if he was not raised from the dead we would have no life after death either. How would we have ever have confidence of life after death? We would live life like this is all it is, wouldn't we? And that's exactly what is emphasized in verses 18 through 19. Thank God. Look at verse 20. This passage says, But now the Lord is risen from the dead. <laughs> he is risen indeed. See, I was going to try to... I'm tricking you guys. You guys are not even paying attention. Okay. You did better that time. I didn't have to lead you along. But now Christ is risen from the dead. And what does that mean? You guys are going to get it eventually. <laughs> what does that mean for you and me? Our faith has a foundation. Our preaching has a purpose. Our sins are forgiven and our, loved, our Christian loved ones, friends, family, we're going to see again. They are alive. They're with the Lord. They're not in the ground. They're with the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5 says, absent from the body and present with the Lord. Amen? And I'm looking forward to seeing my loved ones very soon. And I'm so glad for the resurrection of Christ that gives me hope in Him. Christ's crucifixion is crucial. Your resurrection is certain. Verses 20 through 28. Uh, verses 20 and 22 emphasize that God promises resurrection in Christ. Verse 20, we already read that. Verse 21. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made of life. It says here that Jesus is the first one to be resurrected. Now, preacher, I think you got your facts wrong. No, I don't. Uh, I know what you're thinking. You're saying, well, you know, in the Old Testament, there was, a, there was a widow's son that was raised from the dead. Wasn't, wasn't it? And then you got Lazarus that was raised from the dead. And you got uh, people after the crucifixion of Christ that were raised from the dead, by the way. Why did, why did that happen? To prove that he had conquered death. And, but did those people live forever after that? They died, didn't they? See, Jesus is the only one who has been resurrected and will never die again. Do you understand the difference? He has a, resur he had a, he has a resurrected body. And He is the first fruits, this passage says, of those from the dead that have a sinless body. Of course, He didn't have a sinless body before, but it will never die again. And so, that is the hope that we have in Christ. And verses 21 through 22 says that the only way you can experience that kind of resurrection is in Christ. It says at the end of verse 22, 
Even so, in Christ shall all be made alive. Shall all be made alive. What a hope we have in Christ. Our resurrection is certain because God promises it, but then also God plans resurrection through Christ. Verses 23 through 28. It says, But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards they that are Christ at His coming, then cometh the end, when He shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father, when He shall have put down all rule and all authority and power. For He must reign till He hath put all enemies under His feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. For He hath put all things under His feet. But when He saith all things are put under Him, it is manifest that He is accepted, which did put all things under Him. And when all things shall be subdued unto Him, then shall the Son also Himself be subject unto Him that put all things under Him, that God may be all in all. I know that is a mouthful. And Paul really kind of goes on a side here and says, not only is your resurrection promised and certain because it's promised, but also God has a plan of how He's going to resurrect people. It says here that Jesus was the first to be resurrected like this. And then at His coming, He's going to resurrect His own. The ones who have put their faith in Him as Savior. This is the first resurrection as described in Revelation chapter 20. Blessed is those that participate in this first resurrection. Because, they, because the second death hath no power over them, according to the Scriptures. And so, here, when they're talking about this order, Jesus is resurrected first, then His own. At His coming. Now some people get this mixed up and we read in 1 Thessalonians 4 about a rapture that's going to take place. And it is in the Word of God and we can't ignore it. And it says that when Jesus, that Jesus will come and at His second coming, He will, before He raptures His church, the dead in Christ shall rise first. That means the ones who are Christians who have died they will be resurrected first and given that glorified body. This is part of the second coming of Christ. But then we read later on in the book of Revelation in uh, chapter 20 that, a, that another resur- res- resurrection takes place at the end of the tribulation. Well, it's the same coming. All right. Uh, when Jesus comes in the air, He's going to raise the dead in Christ. But when He comes to earth after the tribulation and sets up His earthly kingdom... He's going to resurrect the rest of the dead in Christ. Because people are saved during the tribulation. And so, the point is, is God has it under control. God has an order even to how He's going to raise people, how He's going to resurrect His people, and how also He's going to restore His creation. He says that uh, during that reign of Christ, sin and death will still exist. Uh, According to the Old Testament, it sounds like people are going to live longer. But still sin's going to exist because at the end of that reign, there is going to be a rebellion against the reign of Christ. And then those that um, rebel against Christ will be put down by the Lord Jesus Christ. And then death and hell will be raised up and cast into the lake of fire. And at that point, death will no longer be an enemy. That is the last enemy that will be put down by the Lord Jesus Christ. And what is the purpose in verse 28? That God may be all in all. That no opposition to God will exist at all. And we will enter the eternal age. Now I think that's a lot going on there. But I don't want you to miss the the main point for
for all the trees, okay? The main point is we have a hope in Christ because He was raised from the dead. And do we live like that? Do we live with that hope? And what I mean, kids, by hope is not some, I hope we can go to the park today. Or, I hope that when I grow up, I make a lot of money and can buy a Ferrari. You know, it's No, this hope is a confident expectation of something good in the future. You know that it's going to happen. It's not a possibility. You know it's going to happen because it's promised. And you have evidence for it. And the same is true with the resurrection of Christ. It gives us hope in Christ that He is the Savior and that our sins are forgiven, that our preaching has a purpose, that we have a faith with a foundation, and that we will be raised from the dead one day and be with our loved ones and with the Lord Jesus Christ. What a motivation for us. But secondly, the second motivation that the resurrection gives is service to Christ. When you live in the reality of the resurrection of Christ, you're going to live different. Not only are you going to live with a hope in Christ, but you're going to live with service to the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not going to stand around with your hands in your pocket because you realize that this this time is very short. This is not your world. You're just passing through. And that there is a better world and that there is a life beyond the grave. And you have, you're going to stand before your Lord one day and He is going to reward you based on how you served Him. And you're going to have to give an account. And you're going to live differently. And we see here in verse 29 probably one of the most complicated verses in the Bible. Okay? Uh, it's been misinterpreted so much. But it says, Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead if the dead rise not at all? Why are they then baptized for the dead? That is a complicated verse. But you know, it really does pick up where verse 19 left off about what would happen if there was no resurrection. Um, and basically, the point is, our service would be insignificant. See, it gives significance to why we do what we do as children of God. And here in verse 29, it emphasizes the fact of being of living outspoken for Christ. It uses this phrase, baptized for the dead. And some people have taken it to believe that you can be baptized for someone that is, is gone and dead and you can somehow save them and they can go to heaven, you know, if maybe they didn't, they didn't trust in Christ as Savior. And we can't believe that as biblical Christians because the Bible teaches that salvation is a personal matter. Okay? The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It doesn't say believe for someone else. It says, personally, you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And when it talks about baptism, we, be, uh, we see in the book of Acts that it was always done after salvation. It was always done to identify yourself as a Christian. The order was always saved, then baptized, then added to the church. You see it in Acts chapter 2. And so baptism, it does not save anyone. Because, can you think of a fundamental problem? I actually talked to my... My nine-year-old this week, I said, can you see a problem with someone believing that being baptized for the dead would be a problem? And my oldest son, Josiah, said these very things. That's why I'm sharing them with you. Well, salvation is something you have to do for you. You know, you have to believe in Jesus for yourself. And then second of all, baptism doesn't save somebody. If it was, then that would be a work, and then you would earn your way to heaven. And the Bible says 
Not of works, lest any man should boast. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. And so we have this contradiction. So people have misinterpreted this passage. Thinking that you can be baptized for someone else and save them. What does it really mean? By the way, I can go into about um, 100 more interpretations on that. But I want to just stick to what actually makes sense here. Okay? here in verse 29, it says, baptized for the dead. This word baptized, um, it, it is a Greek word, baptizo. It's the same one we use for Christian baptism. And it is Christian baptism that we're talking about here. Okay? And when we talk about Christian baptism, that word baptizo was used for um, laundry, you know, for dyeing things. So if you wanted to bleach a garment, you would dip it in this bleach and it would come out and it would be white because of that bleach. It would identify with that bleaching agent. If you were in the dyeing business, you would dye that, uh, you would immerse that docu- document, that garment into the dye and bring it out and it would take on that color. And that's exactly what baptism is like. And that's exactly what it represents, is that we, we are baptized in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are identifying ourselves with Him. We are identifying and coming out and speaking out that I am a Christian. When people in the first century were baptized at the Jordan River or any other body of water, they were essentially putting a target on their back that they were followers of Christ and that Jesus was their Savior. In America, we don't really see that as much, but in, it, but in Muslim or Middle Eastern countries or countries that are dominated by Islam, they are martyred. They do, they're baptized in secret because if they're baptized and someone knows it, they might be killed and their witness would be very short-lived. And so that's exactly what this baptism is, is it's identifying with Jesus Christ. But it says baptized for the dead. And that word for can also be translated in the place of. In the place of the dead. And what, what, we're, what we're looking at here is uh, the fact, it's kind of like a military situation. You know, we're described as soldiers, Christian soldiers of Christ. And when in a military, in a war, when soldiers are killed and they, are, and they die, what happens? Other soldiers are recruited to the front line, are they not? And so they are identified in that war. They are identified with that army and they have a target in their back. And what is going on here, I believe is probably the most, is the most biblical and most consistent with Scripture, is that... They're talking about new converts, new Christians that are taking the place of those that have died in Christ. That's what we've been talking about is resurrection here. It makes sense in this context. People that have died in Christ. So the point is, why would these people take the place of those who have died in Christ if they're not going to be raised from the dead? That's the argument. Why would they live that way? Why would they put a target on their back? Why would they be outspoken for Christ if they were just going to die and that was it? And the point is, is that that is not it. And see, the resurrection of Christ compelled them and motivated them to be outspoken for the Lord Jesus Christ and to stand out for Him. Secondly, in verses 30 through 32, here's the context again, is suffering. It says, And why stand we in jeopardy every hour? I protest by your rejoicing, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die daily. If after the manner of men I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, which that actually took place, a riot took place, and these people were acting beast-like, trying to kill Paul, what advantage, what advantage it me 
If the dead rise not, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. So, if, if Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead and you're living in the reality of His resurrection, you're going to be outspoken for Christ. You're going to be compelled also to suffer for His name's sake because you know that He is alive and you're going to stand before Him one day. And the reality is, is that there are people like the Apostle Paul that stand in jeopardy every hour in this world for being a Christian. You, you have the joy and the privilege of living in a country that has religious liberties. We have the freedom and the privilege to be able to gather like this and to study the Word of God and preach the Word of God. But some people in the world do not. And you know what? They stand in jeopardy. Why do they do that? Why do they stand in jeopardy every hour? Because they believe that Jesus really is alive. They live like it. And a lot of times we American Christians, when we start suffering for Christ, we run away from it. And I think it's because we think like, wow, this is all there is. We forget that our Lord Jesus, um, that He suffered these very same things. In verse 31, he, uh, Paul said, I die daily. And He did. He faced opposition and mistreatment every day for following the Lord Jesus Christ. And if Jesus wasn't alive, that would have been a waste of time and so hopeless. He'd be such a pitiful person. But that's not the case that He's making here. And He, said, and he also mentions this uh, quote from a play. It's actually a secular play. Let us eat and uh, drink for... Excuse me, he references the Old Testament here. Let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And you know what? We Christians are called to live a life of denying self. Jesus says, if you're going to be my disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And you know what? why we do that? Because we serve a risen Savior. Okay, He's called us to do that. And we live... We are following and serving a resurrected Christ, not someone who is dead in the grave. See, we are so distinguished from any other religion. You know, Buddha, he's gone. He's dead. You know, they have his bones. They have some bones of his. Muhammad, he's dead. And they still grieve over his death. But you know what? Jesus is alive. He is alive and he is risen from the dead. He's risen indeed, right? You guys are going to get that. Good. Very good, very good. And then the last uh, couple of verses. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For some have not the knowledge of God, and I speak this to your shame. When you are serving a risen Savior, you're going to live completely different. You're going to live outspoken for Christ. You're going to live and be willing to suffer for Him. You're not going to go out there and try to be a martyr, but if suffering comes, you're going to be willing to receive that. But also you're going to live right for God. You're going to live right for God. Um, It says here, it kind of follows on the tails of that last comment, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. So, I mean, that is the mentality of the world. Let's live for today. Let's enjoy what's going on today. Now, we live in a world that has lust. We have the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We have all these temptations just drawing at us and trying to distract us. And it's so important that we use discretion on who will influence us because we are called to be witnesses for God. And we see here that the Corinthian church failed miserably. It said in that last verse that some have not the knowledge of God. And I speak that to your shame because you haven't been living right. 
There was a man in the church that was doing something so obscene that the people, that the wicked people in Corinth who lived very vile lives were shamed by what he was doing. And they were tolerating this kind of stuff in the church. My question to you is, what do others learn from, about God from your life? What do others learn about God from your life? Do they learn about the love of God by how you live? What do they learn about the holiness of God and, and what His standards are in life by how you live? When people look at your life, do they know that God exists? Do they believe that He's important? And if that's not the case, this verse, verse 34 says, wake up! <laughs> wake up to the opportunities and to the responsibility you have to be a witness, a living witness for Christ. And so many times we are silent and we don't take opportunities to share the Gospel, but we even worse, we even blunder opportunities to show the Gospel and how we live. When people look at your life, do they learn anything about God? The resurrection of Christ is significant to how you live. And are you living in that reality that Jesus is alive? Do people see that in your life? Or do they say, man, they're religious. They're just so, I mean, they're there at church every Sunday or at least they go two times a year. You know, they're, they're religious people. they at least people of some faith or something like that, you know. But do they see it on a day-to-day basis that you serve a risen Savior? That He's alive. Do they see that in your life? By your hope that you have in Him and how you serve Him. Let's live with some hope in Christ. And if we do have hope in Christ, we're going to share that with others, aren't we? And we're going to live completely different. With every head bowed and eyes closed, um, let's consider what this text had as saying for us today and respond to the Word of God as we studied it this morning. Jesus is alive. And He wants to be a part of your life. And uh, He has done the work of salvation for every sinner in this world who I'm chief. And if you are in this room or under the sound of my voice and you haven't accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, why not? The Bible says that He uh, died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and rose again on the third day according to the Scriptures. Will you believe what the Word of God says? Will you believe that your sins can be forgiven through Jesus Christ? Have you ever in your life accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior? It's so easy. And then you can know that you have a home in heaven when you die. You know that you're not going to be going to a lake of fire, but you're going to be with the Lord forever and evermore. If you haven't accepted Christ as your personal Savior, I encourage you to admit that you're a sinner. It's not really hard to do. Then believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. And what I mean by that is to trust that when He died on the cross, that He died for your sins. And, and that you trust in Him as your Savior. Call, and then call out for salvation. You can do that there in your seat. You don't have to come forward. You don't have to do something dramatic. All you got to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible says, and you will be saved. Christian, are you living in the reality of the resurrection of Christ? Or are you living like your Savior's dead? There's people that are dying and going to hell every hour of the day. And we are tempted to remain silent 
and to live like everybody else, like this world is all there is. How are you living in this world? Are you living with hope in Christ? Are you living serving the Lord Jesus Christ and showing people that He's alive? How is your witness today? You respond during our time of invitation. Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for this time we had to consider Your Word. Pray that You would uh, work in hearts and that people would respond to Your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.